Once upon a time when we were coloured, the Windrush generation arrived from abroad and immediately went on a search for the nearest parish church to give thanks and praises to the Most High and to pray for protection from the bad guys. They had brought their faith across the ocean and wanted to join a congregation and share in heavenly devotion with the people of their new nation. But when they arrived at the church door with their Bible in their hands, more times than not their entrance was blocked by a preacher man who didn't share their belief that colour doesn't matter when it comes to the Lord or the hereafter. They were not welcome, these sons of Ham, for God was back then an Englishman. That's why it was the Church of England, not a worship place for every Tom, Dick and Jamaican. So they were turned away from one church after another until finally they set up their own places of worship with each other in their bedsits and living rooms where they gathered every Saturday afternoon and praised the Lord and sang sweet hymns without prejudice of colours or skins. Songs like Swing low, sweet chariot Coming for to carry me home Swing low Sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Well, I looked over Jordan, what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. We'll swing low. Sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. And it pleased the Lord because the sound was sweet and it saved a wretch like me. It was amazing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You see, this was the origin of what they called the black churches, which we were forced to build because we had no choices. Nowadays, of course, with dindling congregations, the Church of England welcomes folk from every nation. But should the Church of England apologise for the way it rejected and dehumanised post-war immigrants from the colonies, treating us like we committed felonies? The Reverend Andrew Mockling Mumby thinks it should, and after all these years, try to make good. He cites Doreen Brown, who arrived in Britain in 1956, age 16, but was treated like a Philistine. Her mother was turned away on the steps of St Peter's Church in Woolworth, South London, due to the plain fact of the colour of her black skin. Reverend Mocklin Mumby says, We know that many people did not find a home and simply went away. They left the C of E. It's a scandal that the church still hasn't handled. 
So what was it really like for people of faith back in those days? Let's talk to the granddaughter of one of the first female pastors, Carol Thompson, Queen of Lovers Rock. So Carol, what did your grandmother tell you about why she decided to start a church in her front room? Well, when they first got to the UK and went to the local Baptist church, um, at first they were invited, they were they were happy to invite them in and then once they went into the church and they found they were asked not to come back the following week because one they were too noisy because they wanted to clap their hands and they wanted to say amen after something that touched their spirit and also their hats were too big and their clothes were too bright how how did the black congregation those who have come over from the Caribbean post-war. How did they take this? How did your grandmother take this? Did she think it was a, a cultural thing or a racist thing? I think they saw it as a racist thing. I think it was just um, another uh, what, another thing in which they were feeling they were rejected and finding it difficult to assimilate and to fit in. It was just just one more thing in a whole catalogue of, of problems and um, doors closing and um, lack of understanding and willing, willingness to, to be accepted. It's just another thing. No, they didn't know God was an Englishman. As far as they were concerned, you know, God was the God of all mankind and they just wanted to worship him in spirit and in truth. And the behavior of the of the churches in this country was just disgraceful um so if the churches wanted to feel that god was an englishman that was fine for them they just decided to find somewhere where they could worship the way they wanted to worship how did she build up a, a congregation well to build up the congregation you know once you once you're having a ministry that touches the hearts of a community and a group of people that are seeking the same kind of truths and the same kind of spiritual freedoms. You know, the word spreads and they say, oh, Mrs. Thompson's having a, a church at her home or another, you know, another one of the friends or, or, or people who wanted to worship would have it in their homes. And, you know, that's how the how it would grow, you know, because ultimately, you know, as a people, they were used to worshipping every Sunday, putting on their Sunday bests and just enjoying each other's company as a congregation of people that wanted to worship and read the Bible. What, they they put on their Sunday best to go and sit in the living room? Yes, they did. As far as they were concerned, they were going to church. And after they'd finished worshipping, they'd sit down and work out how they could somehow get a hall um, somewhere where they could maybe rent on a Sunday where they could get together because obviously as it grew it was impossible for it to remain in a front room so they needed a space a, a hall of some sort so that's why a lot of the Pentecostal churches started out in sometimes the same church halls um, that belonged to the churches that wouldn't allow them to go into their church but were quite happy to rent them the hall Obviously, you're hearing a lot of this secondhand because you weren't even born in the 1950s, were you? But from what you understand, were they trying to, these first generation 
of post-war immigrants? Were they trying to recreate um, the churches from back home over here in Britain? Or were they trying to do something else? Were they trying to do, I suppose, a British church in this country, a black British church? I don't think it was that premeditated. I think they just wanted to um, have a fellowship, have a church. Um, they weren't thinking, I'm going to make it black British. They just wanted a, a, an opportunity to worship um, that where they wouldn't be ostracized or alienated, where they could be left alone to create the kind of church that they were used to. Um, and that was all it was, really. I don't think they were thinking that deeply about it's going to be a black British church. It's just going to be, I just want to worship. That's what the, That was the criteria. And can we just need a place in which we can worship. What do you remember about your first time in church? What was your was your grandmother preaching at the time. What do you remember about her preaching? Well, yeah, my grandmother was um, a very fiery preacher. She was very energetic and charismatic. And um, she loved the, reading the Bible. She loved giving anecdotes um, around certain scriptures. And she loved praise and worship, singing and um, singing with a lot of gusto and with tambourines, it was it was it was a wonderful experience. So there was music and singing, and maybe jollity, or was it much more somber than that? Was it much more austere than that? No, in in the Pentecostal tradition, it wasn't austere. I mean, when they're preaching, it was as you know, it was charismatic preaching, and um, when they're worshiping. They're saying their amens, they're saying it loudly. If a particular scripture or an anecdote touched their souls or touched their spirit, then they would respond with their amen. And sometimes they, uh, in this particular um, type of Pentecostal um, tradition, they would speak in tongues and they would run up and down in the aisles um, as well. So it was, it was a very lively um, <laughs> service and sermons. <laughs> Because obviously you can understand why it perhaps didn't go down well with the Church of England. You say Pentecostal. Did, did the, the, um, the home church or um, did, did the locals understand even what Pentecostal was? No, it was, a cult, it was uh, you know, it, it, to be honest, it was a culture shock you know, when you talk when you think about how austere and quiet and, and um, reflective a lot of the churches were in the UK, the, the, the English churches, they, you know, it was solemn and it was reflective. And so um, even the, on, on a Baptist level, it was solemn and reflective in comparison to how they, the, the, the congregation from the Caribbean wanted to express their love for the Almighty. So it was very difficult for them to kind of understand the amount of noise as they saw it um, or the jubilant nature in which, you know, we wanted to celebrate the feelings of, of, of spirituality. How important was the church for these new immigrants? How important, for example, was your grandma's church to the congregation for which uh, she was the shepherd. Yeah, these churches were very important. It was a, a, a once a week meeting point. You know, there's a community. There was support. 
you know, it was, a, it was a place in which you could come together and you could talk about all the all the different things that you've been going through throughout the week, throughout the month, in a country that was fairly hostile. And it was the one place um, where you could come together and and support one another. So as well as the worshipping and the reading of the scriptures and the singing and the and the jubilation of the singing, there was also um, this oneness of community and it was the beginning of community. It was one of the places in which community started. And where was this? Where was this church that we're talking about? Because you said that she moved after a while from her living room to hiring a church hall. So the first church hall was the, was the church hall of the same Baptist church that had um, rejected them initially. And then they moved to a St. John's Ambulance Brigade Hall, um, who were very understanding. And um, then there was, they also then moved to the Salvation Army, who were very understanding as well, and gave them a hall um, to, to use. And that's where they, they, they stayed there for quite a while, which was a Salvation Army hall. And... Um, and the funny thing about the Salvation Army is that they kind of under, they kind of understood the sort of Pentecostal idea um, of worshiping. So um, that's where it stayed for a while until the congregation were able to um, put the funds together to try and buy somewhere. I say black churches, but really these were Caribbean churches, weren't they? There was there were no Africans. African new immigrants at these churches, the ones that you're talking about, the Pentecostal church, were there? Yeah, you're correct. Um, in the early days, it was mostly West Indians um, and um, predominantly, I would say, and, and also a few English um, English people who enjoyed that type of worship. There were, um, you know, yeah, there were quite a few, a few English families that... That, that had been missionaries out in Africa and, and, and the Caribbean and um, enjoyed that type of worshipping. But predominantly, they were Caribbeans. Isn't that ironic that these people were rejected from the Hyde Church, the Church of England? Uh, they were prejudiced against. There was a colour bar, if you like, for mm -hmm. them. Not everywhere, but in, in many Church of England churches. We know that because the Church of England is um, acknowledging that now after all these years. And yet, in their own churches, there was no colour bar. So white people could come and worship at these black or well, Caribbean churches. Yes, it is ironic, but we were very accepting of any nationality that wanted to, to worship in spirit and in truth in this environment and came with a genuine heart so yes it was ironic but it's just the way it panned out and was there this divide throughout throughout your life did you always stick to the um black churches or was there ever a coming together after after a period of time i'm imagining that there wasn't so much prejudice against black worshippers at churches or, or was that prejudice maintained throughout your growing up years do you know um well because i 
as a young young child into adult or into teenage years my um, experience of church was always Pentecostal and so it was always very West Indian but I know that after a while a few Baptist churches um, became a lot more open and accepting of different types of worshipping um, and so I think it, it did change um, but because I was part of the Pentecostal movement um, my experiences were very much a Caribbean experience. You've told us a bit about the Pentecostal church, how different that was from the Church of England. Do you remember much about the kind of songs that you used to sing in those days? Yeah, they had lots of lots of um, beautiful, um, uplifted, uplifting and inspirational songs um, and a lot of choruses that we would sing in order to kind of reach that feeling of being closer to to the spirit of of god so yeah there were many songs and um it was a joy to sing those songs is there anything that resonates about the sort of messages in any of the sermons do you remember any one particular well there are many um you know one in particular there were different types of sermons for for different situations you know like if you had a lot of sinners or a lot of backsliders in in the congregation people who had come before and then had gone off into what they would call the world and have are coming back there were there were particular sermons for that there were sermons for people who um were like lost sheep then who have who, who are coming into the church so there, there were different sermons for for different um situations and some were quite scary and some were very uplifting um, you know some sermons would scare you into becoming a Christian <laughs> and some some sermons would embrace you so yeah there were many types of sermons there aren't any particular sermons that that, that were set because these were it was Pentecostal and it's charismatic no two sermons were ever the same they were always um, uh, always different. I suppose the church had a slightly different role there, particularly where it had to be um, a meeting place for a generation of people who had come to a foreign land almost, you know, <laughs> in a biblical sense, had um, travelled from one place to another. It could could you describe it as being like the glue that held the community together? There's a lot of talk nowadays of the church not fulfilling the role of a uh, community space, if you like. There's a lot of talk about the church not doing its job in uh, trying to bring people together and the children, younger people going wild because the church doesn't have that place in their lives anymore. Could you talk of the church of uh, bringing together the community, holding together the community during that time? Yeah, well, of course, the, the church had a pivotal role in those days because Britain was so hostile and there weren't that many places where um, the new immigrants could really go and feel comfortable. And this was one place where they could, as I said, they could all come together, exchange stories, maybe give each other advice of how to navigate this new country and, and you know, this, this whole new um, lifestyle, which they were not used to, what they thought they were going to be 
come to that was not what had transpired. So the church had this important role and it, it created a community because, you know, it wasn't actively going out there to, to do that. It just happened naturally. It was... Um, it was just a natural progression of people coming together and finding solace in this in this environment, and that is why you know it it was it became a pivotal um, a pivotal area within the black community of that time. Uh, but what I remember most about my Caribbean friends who went to church was that every other week the church minibus would come round and collect them and take them off to the seaside somewhere. Sounded like a lot of fun. We didn't get that in the in the African churches, of which I suppose there were much fewer. And most of us Africans by this time, by the time I was growing up, early 70s and so on, uh, probably went to white churches mostly, or, you know, Church of England, the host nation churches. Do you remember going to the seaside the church sort of congregations, different congregations gathering together to go to Margate or South End or wherever it was. Yeah, there were fantastic times. You know, um, we used to call them excursions, our excursion, and it, it would create a lot of fun and excitement. The night before, you'd be cooking a lot of food, rice and peas and chicken and all kinds of stuff, um, putting them into coolers so that you could travel to Margate, South End on Sea, and um, and have a wonderful time, even though sometimes the weather was awful. But just that togetherness and the feeling that you were coming out of London or coming out of your normal zone and going somewhere else um, together, it was it was a wonderful bonding and a great experience. And we'd be singing the whole way down on the coach and um, having fun once we got to these seaside places and then singing all the way back. And it was... Um, a wonderful bonding um, experience. But if if you weren't welcome at the house of the Lord, English style, were you welcome at the seaside? This, I suppose, a rally of hundreds, perhaps, of black parishioners descending on the seaside. What was the reaction to people there? Well, of course, a lot of heads were turning and a lot of quizzical looks were given um, of all these, because a lot of these seaside towns didn't have black people. They were mostly, as you know, were, were populated within London and, and, and the M25 for us at this, you know, South England anyway. So, yes, they used to kind of, used to sometimes cross the site, cross over the road and they would look at us really strangely. But they kind of knew that it was a day trip and that we weren't staying forever. How different do you think things would have been if the church doors of the Church of England, of the uh, English churches were open wide and welcoming of the new immigrants? How different do you think things would have been? Would there, for example, have been a need for these black churches, for example? And when we are today, when we see these huge mega black churches, would they ever have been established if it hadn't been for that initial rejection? No, they wouldn't have been established. And, you know, 
ultimately it, it would it, the, the blend the mix and blend probably in the merging would it be very hard for it to happen because the church of england has its um its doctrine and it has its method in, of of worship and it's written down and it follows a particular um particular process so um maybe it would never have worked who knows but i know that by starting in a front room throughout the UK. This happened throughout the UK, not just in, in, in my situation. And then, you know, utilizing you um, church halls and other community centers and things like that has created this huge um, enterprise, you know, where the, they're, just, they're just huge churches because people want to worship in the way in which they want to worship. So now the Church of England just this week has been asked to apologise for the way it treated the post-war immigrants from the Caribbean, from Africa and elsewhere. It's been asked to apologise. We'll find out in a month or so whether it does. This is being put to the General Synod, which is the kind of governing body, if you like, of the Church of England. It's been asked to apologise not by... Uh, the recipients of the hostility, not by black people, but indeed by one of its own, by one of its own. Is sorry needed? Do they need to apologize? Or can you turn the other cheek in that Christian way and draw a line under what's happened in the past? Well, I think that we have already drawn the line because we've moved on. You know, we were never um, seeking an apology, but I believe apology is, is is, is a good um, Christian thing to do when you look back and you look at the, your, the way in which you have treated another human being. Um, I think it's important as a, as a Christian to, if you follow the Christian um, teachings, then yes, apologize and say, well, actually we were wrong to have treated you like that. And maybe we could have had a conversation and it couldn't have been so abrupt. And that's, it's always good to apologize um, when you have done wrong. But in terms of, you know, the, the churches, they've moved on and they're thriving and they're worshiping in spirit and truth in the way in which they like to worship. So it's just the way it's panned out. What more, what more can they possibly say than, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to make you blue. Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. What more can they say but that? <laughs> exactly. Beautifully sung. Thank you. Yeah, they have, they, they've said sorry. They have to apologise. And um, it's really interesting to see how people react to that apology. I'm so sorry. Well, there is one tune that I suppose united the churches of the Caribbean and of the United Kingdom, despite all the issues of the last 60 years or more, 70 maybe even. I suppose that tune is Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. The sound that saves 
God's breath. Then when we.